ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. Welcome to ID the Future. I'm Eric Anderson, and I'm joined again today by Dr. Casey Luskin to continue our discussion of the brand new book, The Comprehensive Guide to Science and Faith, Exploring the Ultimate Questions About Life in the Cosmos. Dr. Luskin is Associate Director of Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture and holds degrees in law as well as earth sciences and geology. Welcome back, Casey. Thanks for having me, Eric. So Casey, last time we talked about this great new volume and the extensive lineup of authors who contributed chapters to the book. It's really an impressive lineup, lots of great chapters, each addressing a specific question. And we were discussing one of your chapters, which is titled, What is Intelligent Design and How Should We Defend It? We reviewed some of the key background questions about ID. Today, I'd like to dive just a little bit deeper, if that's all right. I'd love to. So I think many of us have had the experience of learning about intelligent design, and then we eagerly rush out and want to share our knowledge and excitement with others, either with friends or online. And we quickly come face to face with lots of objections. What are some of the most common objections that you find to intelligent design that are raised? Well, I think the first main objection that we hear is that ID is not science. Mm. And the implication of that is that it's either not true or not worth taking seriously because there's no way to support it using scientific evidence. And because of that, one of the very first points I make in uh, this chapter in the book is that intelligent design can use the scientific method to make its claims. And it's directly based upon the standard methods of historical science used by many other scientific fields to make scientific claims. I think it's very important from the very outset to establish that intelligent design is in fact a scientific theory. I kind of went through that argument a little bit in the the other podcast, but basically the, the argument is that ID uses the scientific method of observation, hypothesis, experiment, and conclusion to make its claims. And it begins by observing that intelligent agents produce high levels of complex and specified information. We could then hypothesize and predict that we'll find high levels of complex and specified information in nature if ID is true. And you can then go out and test that prediction. Uh, You can look for complex and specified information in biological systems through mutational sensitivity tests, genetic knockout experiments, theoretical calculations, and other methods. And when we find high CSI, then we can conclude that uh, those biological structures were designed. And of course, like any scientific theory, we hold those conclusions tentatively subject to future discoveries, but we can make a scientific argument that life was designed. So I would say that there's a very easy way to answer the claim that ID is not science, and I hope folks will maybe find this argument helpful. Yeah, that's great. That's a really important point. What other objections do you run into? Well, another common objection, and you know, these objections have been around, by the way, for literally you know, 30 years since the early days of the ID movement, but the objection is that ID doesn't do research or doesn't publish mm. peer-reviewed papers. You would think that questions like this, and we can argue back and forth about whether ID is science. There are a lot of different definitions of science out there, and folks have different opinions, and you know, that's something that certainly you can have a, a debate over, and I, I understand folks have different views. I think there's a strong argument ID is science, but fine, we can debate that. But the question about whether ID has published peer-reviewed research or is is even doing research, that's really a black and white question that I think critics ought to just 
let that objection die because ID has published <laughs> peer-reviewed papers. We've documented well over 100 papers on Discovery Institute's website. The ID 3.0 research program, which I helped to manage here at Discovery Institute. I mean, what am I doing with my day every day other than managing research most of the time? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm contacting scientists on a regular basis. You too, Eric, you're involved with research projects that the ID movement is doing. Yeah, It's absolutely a fact that ID is supporting and sponsoring research that's come right out of the intelligence design paradigm and is directly testing ID predictions. Critics sometimes like to say that they're in the uh, reality-based community. Well, if you want to be in the reality-based community, just get over this objection that ID doesn't have research or peer-reviewed publications. It does. Let's just settle that one and move on. Yeah, yeah. And, and you've been around this debate for ages, Casey. Sometimes it's difficult when dealing with people who are obstinate or acting in bad faith. What's your recommendation on how to handle either heated debaters or heated objections that come up? Yeah, one of the points I make in this chapter, which as I said in our other discussion about this, it's kind of designed for a newcomer to the debate. And I've talked to many people over the years who have shared these experiences. They're mastering the arguments for intelligent design. They're able to respond and defend ID against some of these objections, like whether it's science or does ID have research or peer-reviewed papers. They're able to make really good arguments, but what they get back is not a serious substantive response, but instead they get insults and ridicule they get sort of these heated objections. And so what I said is, look, on the one hand, it can be discouraging when you make a good argument and instead of getting a strong rebuttal or a serious conversation, you just kind of get this hate, basically, and and this personal attacks, ad hominem rebuttals and ridicule and insults, that sort of thing. I said, on the other hand, there are reasons to be encouraged because you can guarantee that if ID critics had good rebuttals to what you were saying, they would be making those arguments. And the fact that you are receiving back these ad hominem personal attacks, character assassination, mockery, insults, ridicule, that shows that they actually don't have a good response to you. And even if that particular critic is sort of flaming out, you can be guaranteed that there are folks who are sort of, I would say, mild-mannered, fair-minded people in the middle who are just observing the debate and watching the conversation. And when they see you respond in a collective, calm, and even loving, civil way to someone who is just attacking you, and they see that you have arguments and they have name-calling, folks in the undecided middle are going to be persuaded by your demeanor and your approach and just the strength of the case and the and the character that you're carrying yourself by. And so don't be totally discouraged when somebody flames out in the middle of a debate and goes off on you. It actually can be an opportunity to reach people. And I've also made a really strong point in this article that when someone does engage in personal attacks, do not respond in kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, I personally am a Christian. I, I really do believe that Christ taught to love your enemies and pray for those who persecuted you. And I found that, you know, it can be really hard to do that. I'm not going to lie. When you're being attacked, it's not easy. So I definitely sympathize with folks who are struggling in those particular moments. At the same time, let me just say that when you respond back to somebody who's really coming at you with a lot of anger and nastiness and respond to them in a loving, kind way, not only is it the right thing to do, but it actually opens up people to what you have to say. 
it's an amazing thing. It can be totally disarming to this angry spirit that's within them. And suddenly they're like willing to listen to what you're saying. Like you get like a total 180 sometimes in people mm. when you can respond in that uh, civil, loving, kind way to someone who's coming at you with a lot of heat. And again, it also is very persuasive to folks in the undecided middle. So I would just say to folks, keep calm and keep advocating intelligent design to quote that famous meme and just stay the course. Know that you have the better of the arguments. And there's this one last point I'll make. Sometimes you will get objections, even from heated people, that maybe you don't know the answer to. Sure. You know? and, and that and that's okay. We have all had this experience where we get an objection and we've not heard that one before, or we, we don't know much about that topic. Well, I just want to give permission. It is totally okay in a debate to say, you know what? That is a good question. I don't know the answer. I'm going to go home and do some research and I'll get back to you on that. And maybe the, the answer turns out to support ID. Maybe it doesn't. I'll say from past experience that normally when I go home and dig into it, I, I find out that it wasn't the first time the question was asked and there's, there's a good answer out there waiting to be found. But don't get, I would say, too upset or too knocked off your game if you get a, a question you don't know the answer to. Just be honest. You know, I don't know. I'll go and research it and then we'll continue the conversation. Folks are usually... Even heated critics are usually pretty understanding that you know no one's omniscient. You don't know the answer. Okay, fine. Thanks for being honest. Let's move on. Yeah, and this brings me to a, a question I was actually going to ask later, but I'll ask it now because it ties in well. So it's a little bit overwhelming to think, hey, we have to master all the issues before I go out and become an advocate for intelligent design or make a positive contribution. How can a newcomer get up to speed enough to actually make a positive contribution as an ID advocate. That's exactly right, Eric. And that is such a good point you just made. I really want to encourage folks that they do not need to be a guru or, you know, uh, in the major leagues of intelligent design before they go out and start advocating this position or getting involved in discussions and conversations and even debate. I would say start wherever you're at, you know, and you'll learn the issue as you go along. You don't have to come into this discussion with having all the answers. You can learn things as you go along. And if you don't know where to, what the answers are, there are many great resources out there. This book, obviously, is a great place to start. Your book, Eric, Evolution and Intelligent Design, in a nutshell, is another wonderful place to start. You can also make use of resources like evolutionnews.org or this podcast to learn more about intelligent design. But I just want to encourage people, you do not have to be a guru in order to be able to speak on this issue. In fact, there's a huge need for folks who are new to the issue and have an open mind and just want to learn to go and engage with folks who maybe have other views. It's a great way to make an impact. Yeah. And one of the things that I've shared with, with people that I hope is meaningful is rather than saying, oh, feeling like I'm going to go out and I'm going to explain everything, treat it as a discovery with the person that you're talking to. So if you're brand new to this and you've read a, you know one of the great ID books or you've read this volume that we're talking about today or maybe even just a chapter of it and there's something that jumps out at you that's meaningful to you, you can go to a friend or a colleague and say, hey, I was just reading this book about X and I ran across this really interesting idea. What do you think? You know, you can lay it out that way and just share it and explore it together and not have to feel like, gee, I have to have all the answers and I'm going to go out and teach and this other person is just going to listen and accept what I'm saying. Treat it as a discovery, a mutual conversation with your friend or your, your colleague or your, your relative and say, hey, I ran across this, or I listened to this podcast, or I heard this speaker, or I watched one of these videos on Discovery Science on YouTube, and it had this really interesting concept. What do you think? And just share it that way. 
I think you just said in a much more articulate manner what I was trying to say, Eric. So I really like the way you just framed it. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, so thank you. Yes, that's really good, Casey. I, I love the idea of, of us jumping in and, and starting where we're at and sharing what we can. Uh, one of the common criticisms that we also hear is that idea is just a negative argument against evolution. We talked about that a little bit last time, but is that a fair criticism? Yeah, I devoted a whole chapter to that question in the book, uh, The Comprehensive Guide to Science and Faith, because it's such an important one to really dig in and understand what intelligent design is and how it can guide research. So we very commonly hear that ID is just a negative argument against evolution. ID critics like Ken Miller, uh, even the, the Kitz Miller versus Dover ruling said that ID is strictly a negative argument mm -hmm. against evolution. This is simply not true. I mean, if you want to describe someone's position, if you're going to critique it, it's very important to describe their position accurately. Yeah. And so if you look at what ID proponents are actually saying, we have from the very beginning, go back to Darwin's black box, Michael Behe, 1996, even earlier, we have explicitly framed intelligent design as a positive argument. What do we mean when we say that ID is a positive argument? Well, let's first define a negative argument. A negative argument says, well, because theory X is false, therefore theory Y is true. And of course, this form of argument only gets you so far because evidence against one theory does not in and of itself necessarily constitute positive evidence for another theory. A positive argument proceeds by saying theory X predicts Y, Y is found, therefore we have evidence which is inferred to support theory X. Okay, so we're making positive predictions that are testable. And when we confirm those predictions, we have some degree of evidence supporting our theory. That's what we mean when we say a positive argument. Yeah. And let me press you just a little bit on that too, because to the extent that I, I think you're absolutely right. I don't want to disagree, but I just want to press a little bit to the extent that we have a theory that says X and we have a theory that says not X, you know, there's value in approaching that. And it doesn't matter. I mean, the, the question of whether ID is a negative argument against evolution at some point is a little bit of an, an odd complaint, if you will. If idea did nothing else, and it, it does much more, but if idea did nothing else, then help us understand that the evolutionary story was nonsense. That would be an incredibly valuable contribution to science. And so there's a lot of value in saying, here's a theory that claims there is no design in the world, that everything is a result of purely undirected, natural, unguided processes. If we can advocate a position that says, no, that's not true. That's an incredibly valuable contribution in and of itself. So I find it a little bit of an odd objection in the first place. But then as you go on, and we'll talk about in a minute, there are really a lot of positive cases that can also be made for intelligent design on top of that. So I mean, but, look, but, go, I go, agree, go ahead. I agree with what you just said, Eric, and we need to, we need to thread this needle carefully. And I think that there is a very good resolution to everything we're saying here. Certainly intelligent design does have a negative case against material causes such mm -hmm. as Darwinian evolution. That is absolutely part of the ID argument. But if ID only had a negative case against evolution and said evolution was false, that would not be enough to infer an intelligent cause. We have to be able to make positive predictions out of our paradigm of intelligent design to be able to go far enough then to say, okay, well, Darwinism is not the right answer. So what is the right answer? Intelligent design is the right answer. And I actually think that Michael Behe framed this issue very well in the afterword that he wrote to Darwin's Black Box in 2006. This is what he wrote. He said, 
Irreducibly complex systems such as mousetrap and flagella serve as both negative arguments against gradualistic explanations like Darwin's and as positive arguments for design. The negative argument is that such interactive systems resist explanation by the tiny steps that a Darwinian path would be expected to take. The positive argument is that their parts appear arranged to serve a purpose, and that is exactly how we detect design. So what Behe has explained here is that concepts like irreducible complexity serve as both negative arguments against Darwin and also positive arguments for design. Darwinism cannot explain the origin of a system that requires multiple parts to be present before they function. It can't be evolved in this gradual step-by-step manner that Darwin's theory required. But yet in all of our experience, irreducibly complex systems always come from an intelligent agent. And so when we find irreducible complexity in biology, we have a positive argument there for design. So I think that it's important to understand that kind of as you said, there are some predictions that Heidi makes that are both positive predictions of design and they are directly the opposite of what Darwin's theory would predict. So you can have lines of evidence and arguments that both refute Darwin and provide positive evidence for design in their own right. And that does not mean that ID is just a negative argument. We also have this positive argument there. Yeah, that's great. I love the way that Mike Behe framed that. That's a really good description of, of that point. And it's really important to take the whole and look at the great case that, that intelligent design is making. That was part two of my conversation with Casey Luskin. Join us again soon for part three of our conversation where we talk about creationism, theistic evolution, and whether design is actually detectable in the history of life. Get your copy of the Comprehensive Guide to Science and Faith today at online retailers like Amazon and Barnes & Noble. For ID the Future, I'm Eric Anderson. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Steve Meyer, and I want to thank you for being a regular listener of the ID the Future podcast. We appreciate your interest in intelligent design and the work we're doing to develop the case for the theory of intelligent design. And I'd like to encourage you, if you find these broadcasts edifying, intellectually or otherwise, to become a regular financial supporter of the work of the Center for Science and Culture. You may know that we depend entirely on private donations. We don't get any federal money. We don't get government money for our scientific research program. And if you find the work that we're doing interesting, we'd be awfully grateful if you'd consider becoming a partner in that work by providing whatever you're able to ensure that that work goes forward. To give, go to discovery.org slash ID slash donate. That's discovery.org slash ID slash donate. Thanks so much. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.